Welcome to another edition of Take the Hill, which is a podcast illuminating the human experience of leadership. So welcome back, Dennis and Angelo. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm well, thank you. Angelo? Everybody, good to see you. Absolutely. So, so leadership is not so much about technique and methods. It's really about opening the heart. Right? It's the human experiences, not processes, nor is it a formula or a program. Right? It's a human activity that comes from the heart and considers the hearts of others. And today, we are excited to welcome to the show missionary pilot, Ryan Ferran, someone who we believe embodies this ethos. So Ryan, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here. And for all of our listeners, you know, we really kind of like to start in the beginning. You know, uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about your upgrading, upbringing and kind of like where you're born and raised and kind of how you got to where you're at today? Yeah, um, I was born in Missouri. And um, when I was about five, my parents uh, went into missions with the intent to come actually over here to Papua New Guinea. And we ended up getting here to Papua New Guinea on my eighth birthday and spent about four and a half years as a kid. So growing up in missions was not something like even going into missions was not something new to me. And it wasn't like that outside of the thinking of the box to do something like this. So, yeah, I grew up um, in a Christian home my whole life. And uh, I think it was probably in high school that I was like trying to figure out what exactly I want to do with my life. and. I was like, man, I've always wanted to be a pilot and what better fit is to go do something that I have a passion about and uh, do something that I feel has purpose in life. So at that time, did you know or did you have any connection to missionary pilots or did you know that that was a pathway to follow perhaps or did you? Um, Yeah, I went on a couple of flights here in Papua New Guinea, like first and second grade. Um, and to be honest, I honestly don't even remember the flights, but I, I do remember just the planes that we have here. Uh, there's MAF when I was a kid here and then the mission I'm with as well. But yeah, I would say probably from first grade is really when my interest for aviation has sparked and was like, oh, that, that looks like a really fun career uh, choice to go after. Fantastic. And what about something you mentioned, like you said, you're in those early years, you did have some serious experience with Papua New Guinea, uh, just from your own family, right? Spending time there. Uh, did that connection, was it strong enough back then? That that's where you knew you wanted to go? Or did things just work out uh, that brought you back uh, to them? Um, I would say probably just things just worked out. They had, they had a big need for pilots here at the time that I was going through my training. And um just like probably like if I would have gone into the trip maybe three years earlier than that I probably would have been a helicopter pilot in the Philippines because that at the time is where they needed the pilots so yeah they needed them and my wife and I both were really interested in Papua New Guinea specifically because of the mission has like a school from kindergarten through 12th grade here and they have a center that has probably 250 other missionaries all around the world I think we um house like like 11 different cultures here on the base um so that was something that interested us because we didn't really want to live in a in a town like manila and homeschool our kids or have them just go to the local school or we didn't want to have to send our kids off to a boarding school either so some of those things were um in our consideration of what country we wanted to go serve at 
Nice. That's a, so could you, and that's amazing that you had the opportunity, like you said, to involve your family at such a deep level in this experience. You know, you know my wife too works, like you said, in international education. And I think the opportunity to experience other cultures and have extended time there, it's just so enriching. Yeah, it, it definitely changes you and how you view even your own culture coming back to the States where we're from. Um, yeah, our outlook on life is very much different than everybody else's because we've experienced something different. And just our viewpoint and our world point of view has also changed over the years on what's important and what isn't important. So could you talk maybe a little bit more about maybe how the culture or the people you know that you're working with on a day-to-day -day basis uh, maybe have changed your life or your perspective a little bit more in depth? Well, maybe just to give it a comparison in the States, um, everything that we, that we perceive is like very money-driven um, and not necessarily relationship-driven, where it's the very opposite here, where everything is very relationship-driven. It's a very communal relationship and um, culture to where people are spending time. I mean, they'll just sit around and just chit chat with people where, you know, I've lived in communities where I didn't even know my neighbor's names and I lived there for four years <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, you drive into your garage, you shut your door and you really just don't care about anybody else, but your own life, your own family, and maybe your close knit of friends. So I think that has probably been the biggest thing is just going back um, to the States on home assignments is, wow, it's really, really hard to make new friends because everybody's kind of grown up, you know, and this a lot of times in the same town with their same friends from kindergarten and, and they don't know how to make friends. So I think that's the biggest thing that we've seen is just um, what we value in life is different here than it is in other parts of the world. Ryan, it seems like you've been able to take two different passions, passions for mission work, which it seems like you were kind of brought up on, and and now aviation, you've blended these. And I think there's a lot to be inspired by and for others to find uh, inspiration in, right? Like to, to do anything with passion and purpose is, is amazing. And it seems like you've combined two of those. How have you gone about this process? At what point, at what point did you get into aviation really? And how did you blend that into what you're doing today? How, how'd you bridge that gap? Uh, I got into aviation when I was 19, like right, right out of high school. I started pursuing it. I got my pilot certificate. I flew for like a year and a half, just taking up friends, you know, catching sunset or going and getting that hundred dollar hamburger or something. And at that point, it, I, I didn't have the purpose behind it. It was just the flying and it was very boring. And I was like, man, like all my friends are like going out doing fun snowboarding trips and I'm spending all my money, you know, working like at the mall, not making that much money and spending all that little bit of money I had on flying. And so after a year and a half, I was like, I just don't know if this is for me. Like I didn't have the purpose behind it. And so it got really boring really fast. And it was just going and wasting money. I looked at it. And that's when I went into, into missions. I went into Bible school and really found this is, this is the path that I want to go. And at the time, I completely just wiped out all of aviation and just like, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to go into missions and potentially even go out and live in one of these tribes. And that's where my wife and I were actually geared up to go. And then we went through the training. And we were like, wow, that's not where our gifts and abilities are. Maybe we should redirect and find something that 
where you feel like we're a little bit more gifted in. So that's when we went back into aviation after it was like five or six years of not flying is when I went back into aviation and it was, it just clicked. It was like, wow, this is the path that I should have just stuck with from the get go, because this is where my passion is. And it's cool to be able to find something that you actually really love doing and also feel like you have a purpose in life. Cause I know so many people in life go through life and they <laughs> make a ton of money, but they're just miserable because they're just like, there's just no point behind it. So it's great to have a point behind life and, and, and really, really enjoy what you do. Uh, um, oh, go ahead. Uh, sorry, but to fit, fit this in real quick, I mean, all three of us, like Patrick, Dennis, and I, we all work with students, right? And so I think that some of what you're saying is just very translatable to the demographic that we're with all the time, you know, where, you know, you have especially like traditional age students coming in, they obviously were brought up in a certain kind of environment. Now they're being exposed probably to different cultures and backgrounds and different diversities and um, adversities as well. And I just see students all over the place trying to figure out like their place, their purpose, they have interests and passions, but they never can put their finger on it. Um, but it seems like as long as you stick with things that interest you and love you, at least in your situation, it, it seems like the world will bring it all together. But the, the big question I have here is, so I understand the aviation passion. I understand the mission, you, you know, work that you, you know, loosely what you do. What are the two of them together? How are they married together? How do you connect those? How do I connect those or how do, how do other people connect those? Is that what you're kind of trying to get at? Yes. Like what is the mission work that you do with it, it? Is the aviation and mission work connected? And if so, like how, how is it? Well, with what we do here and how we're a part of missions in aviation is we're here to support all of the tribal church planting missionaries. So they, I mean, they're so far out there in some places that it might be a two or three week hike to the nearest town or even road. So aviation is absolutely critical here in Papua New Guinea. Um, without aviation, our missionaries could not live out there full time. Like there's just absolutely no way because we fly their food, we fly their kids back and forth to school. You know, we're there as just even a medical help for them as well as the people that they're serving out there. So if, I mean, if they were to like get sick, I mean, we, there was, um, was this about three or four years ago, a mom of one of the missionaries came to visit and she, she, they went hiking, she scratched her leg in the little stream and within like two or three days of it getting infected, it was like overnight, they're like, the doctors are like, she'll be dead tomorrow if we don't medevac her to Australia. So that's the kind of environment here in Papua New Guinea that we live in. I mean, the environment is not like, if you don't grow up in it, your body's, it's just not accustomed to it. I mean, even two years ago, I scratched my leg on a helicopter shuttle trip and thought really nothing of it. I mean, it was a scratch. It wasn't even a cut. It was a scratch. So I was like, oh yeah, whatever. Flies got on it during the day. Two weeks later, it got infected. And I thought, oh, you know, it's infected. I'll just leave it open and not really think much of it. Well, just from a Friday to a Monday, um, it went septic into my kneecap. Couldn't even walk, couldn't stand up, had to be medevac to Australia, have surgery, spent nine days in the hospital from a scratch. <laughs> so that's the kind of environment we live in. So as our missionaries are out there full time, a lot of times for up to three months by themselves, aviation is absolutely critical for their survival and the survival of their ministry as well. Yeah, Ryan, um, I just, uh, that's so exciting. 
Um, I'm a retired pastor as well. So I did 20 some years in, as a pastor and, and I, I did do one mission trip to Africa and just to see, I was there for a month and South or, uh, I'm sorry, it's been so many years. Um, but anyway, um, what I'm getting at is that it was just such an experience for me, but as you're speaking, I'm thinking, man, when I first got off that plane, I'd never been out of the United States. And I thought, I, I, I'm not in Kansas anymore. I mean, like, this is crazy. <laughs> I mean, that was yeah. The vulnerability, the, 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 the wild animals, the, just the, just the worm scared the heck out of me to the point where you know, I, I was just out of my comfort zone. And it really took me a while to adjust. Like I was there a month, but it took me a couple of weeks and I was still uncomfortable, but I, I think you're fortunate you got to grow up around it, but what kind of advice would you give somebody that's, I know, I noticed I'm looking at the map and you're in a mountainous area. So I'm sure it's uh, kind of tropical, but what advice would you give somebody that's uh, thinking about doing, I mean, I'm sure it's dangerous uh it's scary um if you if you look on google on like um like the dangerous scale of different countries um papua new guinea is pretty high up there <laughs> and some of the towns are more so but it is similar to like you know there's cities in the u.s that are dangerous if you go to the wrong parts of town you know, and it's similar to here. Like, there's certain areas that are going to be more dangerous than others. It's not like everybody's out to get you. It's just, you know, you hear of those one-off stories and stuff. So, living in a culture that is not your own um, is it can be very trying, and especially if you allow it to be. Um, my wife and I have continually had to remind each other and ourselves, like. We're looking for the positive things. It's not that their culture is bad by any means. It's just different than what we've grown up to and are accustomed to. So if things are done differently, it can really be frustrating to you because what you value, your core values are not what their core values are. So you're just kind of completely missing each other. But um, I, yeah, I do think it takes time to get comfortable in a new culture and a new environment. I mean, even when we first moved here, yeah, everything was new and different. And um, I wouldn't say it was scary, but it was, and I think it is for some though. Um, I mean, I get out on my motorcycle and I go experience, but I think too, the more I, the more one gets out, the less scary things can be. So that's what I would encourage you to get out and talk to people and meet people and see them as people and build relationships and go, oh, wow, hey, they're just like me. It's just a different culture. And they value a few different things than I value. Yeah, and now I, I suddenly remember, I was in Zimbabwe, but um, just okay. the poverty that I experienced. Just it, and I was always advised, don't give them anything because you'll cause it'll actually cause more trouble if you give somebody something on the street because they'll just come and crowd you to the point to where actually people get trampled and everything. And they said, you know, you got to be yeah. careful what you do and. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a really good experience and it really, uh, it showed me that, uh, United States doesn't have God in a box and that, uh, you know, <laughs> and that we yeah. know everything. Um, and it, that the world is, it's, it's different. It's, it was a good experience, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I commend you flying, uh, pastors into the, and people into the middle of nowhere. That's, uh, That'd be a little scary for me. I don't like to fly, so. 
Yeah, we're still working on getting Dennis and Angela to actually go flying with me, but um, we'll get there <laughs> in time. So could you write in, and I loved the point that you made, it's, you know, not just getting out, but really stepping outside of kind of your perspective and allowing the opportunity to have the conversation uh, with others, you know, different you know, religions or race or cultures or different areas around the world. Because again, like you said, it gives you that new perspective and you begin to realize at the end of the day, I think um, we're all human beings. And just like you said, we may not necessarily be all aligned, you know, along, you know, every, every variable. Um, can yeah. you, can you speak maybe a little bit more to, you know, what other services and other things your mission does? Uh, Cause I know you're, you're obviously you know, in and around the aviation side, but I'm sure, you know, collectively as, as a team, you know, like you said, you guys are all stepping in across you know, different roles and positions. Yeah. So um, we also do a lot of flights for communities and stuff. Like we do do commercial flights as well. Um, I would say quite a few less than we fly for missionaries. Um, just because we don't have the time, like we have enough missionaries that are just filling our whole schedule. And then when we have slots available, then we'll fill in commercial charters and stuff. So we do some commercial charters for places, usually within about a half hour flight of where we are. So we'll fly um, sometimes like coffee out for them, or we do peanuts and stuff. And then recently we've been doing, um, our mission donated like $30,000 to help with some like relief COVID flights. Now COVID is not like it is in the everywhere else, or maybe it is, maybe we just have more realistic numbers. I don't really know. I'm sure that's a hot spot, but there's a lot, 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 like a lot less COVID here in Papua New Guinea. But um, we've been able to fly out some supplies, um, some medical supplies that were donated um, by the different provinces and stuff. So we get to fly those out to those locations. And, We've also done like medevac flights um, for people that are sick. A lot of times it's usually where our missionaries are and something happened in the community. You know, a few years ago, there was um, a big misunderstanding and two guys ended up losing their arms over it. And so we ended up flying those guys out to the hospital. And another guy, had, you know, lost his ear over another misunderstanding. So we fly those kinds of things out as well. Um, so yeah, it's, you, we have a lot of interesting flights. Um, I think one guy, uh, one, and it wasn't me, but one of our other pilots flew somebody else out who had been shot with an arrow and the arrow was still in him and they had just broke it off. So he's trying to figure out how to buckle this guy in with an arrow sticking out of his back to take him to the hospital. So we have, yeah, some interesting stories along the way. Oh, I can imagine, sir. Especially like you said, in you know, aircraft aren't necessarily always the most comfortable and roomy environments to operate in, right? Especially the type yeah. of airstrips that we take off. You know, you're bumping down the runway. <laughs> you're thinking, oh man, that's gotta be painful back there for him. <laughs> oh, I could imagine. So if somebody was interested in, like you said, joining you know, an opportunity to go into mission work, you know, even outside of aviation, like what other types of roles, I guess, are available perhaps? Pretty much anything you could think of, that's what we need. Um, from teachers to accountants to people who are just managers. I mean, like, man, we have a store here and just someone who manages that as well as just manages our center. And then we have people that um, are like builders and people that are plumbers. So 
there's so many different aspects. I mean, something that we even, people wouldn't even think of this, but like having a chiropractor here on base would be incredible. Something even like that. We have doctors, we have a clinic here right on base. So doctors and nurses and yeah, um, physiotherapists. And there's just so, there's so many different ones out there that we could use. So pretty much anything that you do in the States could probably be incorporated into missions to be a huge, huge benefit for everybody here. Brian, you're saying you keep referring to base. Is it like a, a community of its own? You're, you're missing? Yeah, we live. Yeah, we live on, I think it's like 38 acres um, and it's a fenced in center. And this is where kind of like our main center is that has the houses like our school it houses our medical clinic it has our store which is um for all of our tribal missionaries that we support they put in orders to the store they prepare them the aviation team takes it in flies it in so here in the highlands this is our main base we have a couple other ones in other areas as well over in hoskins and one in wewak and one in Medane. so and those ones are kind of like the hub for those different provinces and different sections of Papua New Guinea. So this is just more of like the central one right now, but it's also the biggest with the school and the medical clinic. So do you, do you like, do you have an ambition? Like, does, is this going to grow into like other areas, like maybe into uh, other countries? And or is, is it prim primarily in New Guinea? What you do no um our mission organization works in multiple countries i don't even know how many to be off top of my head but over the past you know 30 or 40 years or i think it i think it was um started in the early 1940s i think um so it's been around for a while but um we used to serve in like probably like five or six different countries in south america like indonesia the philippines um some other asian countries and so yeah we serve in quite a few different countries so ryan you know i know we have a, a resident um pilot not in you but in patrick right but now we have two pilots here on the show we have uh, an ex-pastor in dennis um i guess where i'm gonna jump in here with a little bit of interest that i'm seeing in your background um right now in your video is this nice shiny youtube plaque this silver plaque that's behind you and i actually was telling patrick and dennis about this plaque that i i knew you were gonna have it i didn't know it was gonna be in the video but i told them the first thing i noticed about you was you have 150 plus i think it's like 163 actually k youtube subscribers which is absolutely incredible like that is incredible as somebody that loves social media and does things in that realm that is an absolute insane accomplishment it's awesome that you have the plaque behind you i think it goes to anybody on youtube that gets over a hundred thousand subscribers correct me if i'm wrong ryan um, that's right yeah so congratulations i've actually never really talked to anybody in real life one, but i know they exist it's so cool uh <laughs> well thank you yeah, oh my God. Like that is really, really amazing. How, how talk to me about like how you got to this point where you've got this silver plaque that is really for YouTubers. That's a big, big, big milestone. And again, how are you bridging all of this together? Missionary work, aviation. And I know your page circles around the aviation stuff, but how did we get here? Yeah. Um, I think I tapped into, um, an, un an unmet niche that hasn't been fulfilled yet. 
um, that has a lot of interest around it. Um, not only aviation aspect, but just Papua New Guinea. Like there's so many questions about it. A lot of people think it's in Africa. There's just so much, I mean, it's the land of the unexpected. I think that has a lot of grab to it in general. And I think too, being able to share um, a different, I don't know, more of a raw view of maybe just what like a professional pilot does on a daily basis. Um, I know that like a lot of other airlines would love to do something like this, but their airline also has a lot more restrictions on what they can show what they, I mean, there's no audio available. There's no nothing. It's just one camera and it shows their landing, which is really interesting, like eight years ago. But now with people's attention span of about three seconds, <laughs> that doesn't really cut it. So I think I, I watched some of the other um, flight vlogs and this kind of material over the past few years, just just checking in on it basically, because it really didn't even honestly interest me that much. It's like, if you're doing it every day, I'm not gonna watch somebody else do their job every day. So that was some of the reason why I didn't even start doing this because I was like, no, I mean, if I think it's boring to watch these, who else is gonna watch them? But then I started seeing Steve One Kinevo, and I remember looking at his channel back when he had like 200,000 subscribers. And I was like, how is there 200,000 people that watch these videos? And so, and then I saw him, he was almost over 400. And I was like, all right, well, if he's at four, if there's that many people that are interested, I'm like, there has to be um, a desire to watch this. And I was like, and, and even more so, I think, because there's the Bush pilot aspect of it and Papua New Guinea aspect of it. I was like, if people are watching him fly from Miami down to the Bahamas or just, just around Florida or something, I was like, there has to be even more people that would be interested in the type of work that I'm doing. And the, there's also even the element of missions as well. I don't really share really on my channel really because that's not why I started it but even that I think there's a lot of interest in it so it grabs a lot bigger audiences in different areas so I think that's probably what would um that's what it's been behind the growth of the channel and I, I do think it's interesting though that you have the plaque in the view of your camera I, that has to tell me Ryan that you're proud of this and you should be proud of this like this is not an easy task I mean can you speak just a little bit more about like what that means to you to hit that kind of milestone again you've seen people in your space hit 200k i mean it's, it's incredible um I, I don't know if you ask my wife she'd probably say that with my personality like if those things don't really matter that much like it, i don't know I, I love making videos and i didn't start so i could get a plaque where i think a lot of people start so they can get a plaque and they get that you know um, I don't know what it is, but like they get the satisfaction or they get the, the feeling of success from whatever their accomplishments are, where I have such massive goals that I want to accomplish, like not to discount getting up to 150,000, like I, I'm at, my goal was 20,000 by this month. That's what my goal was to get to 20,000 subscribers. So the fact that I got that in the first month and a half, I was like blown away. I was like, maybe I have something here that <laughs> it might grow into something bigger. So yeah, I have such huge goals that I, I discount what I've accomplished over the past 15, 20 years by a lot because I'm like, yeah, but I'm not what I want to do. <laughs> so yeah. And, and look, you know, I think that it's, it's admirable 
uh, because obviously, you know, YouTube and that plaque, like on the surface, it, it could be like a popularity contest, right? Um, but you know, you are—you don't seem to be like a surface-level kind of guy, just from the quick experience of of talking to you. You you're, you're taking um, Patrick and Dennis. I before you jumped on, we were really saying like, I guarantee you, this guy didn't go into this trying to get this plaque. Like I was, you, it it happens when you follow a passion, you do good work. And, and you try to spread the good word. And so I guess here's my question to bridge the gap with, you know, the accomplishment of YouTube is how has this community encouraged you then to um, to do more and serve more uh, because you're getting a lot of attention here and you could choose to just go a certain direction, right? Certain content tends to sell, right? Uh, but, you know, oh yeah, how has this community kind of encouraged you to continue doing the good work that you do? the community as in like the youtube community or what community are you referring to you are a part of many communities that that's a good point which is another uh, amazing quality that you have i'm referencing the the youtube community right i mean look you're okay. you're in an area of the world that is isolated to an extent at least to what we're used to here in the united states but with the internet and with your youtube channel you can reach people anywhere right so you yeah. know how was that community yeah so encourage you to keep going or I had somebody write me probably two or three months ago um and they were like hey have you thought about ever using like the community that you've built on YouTube to be able to help the people in Papua New Guinea um with some projects or something like that and at the time I hadn't really I, it hadn't really um really uh, dive deep into the idea of it. And I was like, oh, I never thought about that. That isn't really a good opportunity to be able to maybe do some community projects to some of these places that we fly for. Because um, even though I'm with the same mission organization that our tribal church planning missionaries are with, they are not in a position to be able to do those community projects. Because there's just so much more that goes around it. And there's so much culture here that also plays into it that if they did that, it could really just be detrimental to the work that they do. And, but as an outsider, as a pilot, even though I'm still with the mission, I can do these projects and it benefits the community. It benefits the church that's being built there. And it also benefits even our organization. Um, so, as I just kind of put some feelers out there in some of my videos saying, hey guys, I'm thinking about doing this project. If you're interested, let me know. And the money came in so fast that I took all of my PayPal stuff down because I was like, I don't want to have to deal with $30,000 and try to figure out what I'm going to do with all these projects. I'm like, I've got enough time to do like six projects a year. And clearly there's enough people out there that are more than willing to jump on board and help me do this. I'll facilitate it. I don't have the money to do it myself. And then even some of the times I don't have the time to facilitate everything. So I've even just, people are contacting me all the time and I'm just reconnecting them to somebody else and saying, hey, this person wants to do this here. This is a great person to talk to. You guys do it. <laughs> or I've had companies ask me, oh, we wanted to get behind you on this. I'm like, okay, well then you do all the legwork and then you let me know what is done. And you can send me, whatever your solar panel stuff and then i'll implement it into some of these communities and some of the projects so i'm working right now on getting some stuff for a yumbai talk or not yumbai talk but yifki where i fly they have a school and we're buying like a printer i already just bought it last week it's like a it's a printer photocopier thing and they already have a solar panel system but we need an inverter so 
now it's just a matter of being able to get that stuff to Papua New Guinea because it just seems to take forever to get anything here. And so, yeah, I'm excited to be able to do these projects because it, it does, it, it opens up a different audience that wants to see these type of things happen in Papua New Guinea. And I enjoy being able to help them out in a way that our other missionaries just aren't going to be able to do it, but it really does. It helps the community a lot. And, and you know, selling coffee is not going to be able to buy them a $5,000 community building with solar panels so they can charge their phones and a water system and everything else. So yeah, I think it's a really cool position to be in. Ryan, I, you know, I, you were talking about diversity and I kind of looked it up here and and just for our listeners' sake, I got to tell you, I'm like, wow, I'm, 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 I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how you handle it, but uh, it says here that there's 851 different languages just on in New Guinea and what, 8 million people, and they're very diverse. And so I don't think maybe we haven't grasped how diverse it really is. So it has to be a challenge to go from one community to another community and remembering what are the what's okay to do in one community and not another because in diversity you know we, it's just like in the United States you don't go into one neighborhood and do something and and you got to remember all that so I guess and and then all the different languages how do you how do you handle that challenge? So they have a trade language here just just um, talk pigeon, and I would say most places in Papua New Guinea um know how to speak it so it's a trade language that you can speak i speak it i wouldn't say i'm like um conversationally fluent but i'm fluent enough that i can get by to explain what i want so they they can understand it and they give you grace on not being able to say things just right or maybe grammatically correct or this that or another but yeah it, it is different i'm sure that i have rubbed a lot of people wrong here <laughs> by doing things wrong but because you're an expat, like they do give you a lot of grace. Um, and especially if you're the pilot and you're wearing a pilot shirt, uniforms are big here. You know, they really like uniforms. So if you're showing up in a uniform, then clearly you know what you're talking about. But <laughs> whether you do or don't. But yeah, um, it, it is hard too. I mean, sometimes some things that you can get away with in the States might really be offensive here. And so even growing up in the States, like I might want to just like, you know, lash out my frustration from the differences of culture on a long day of flying and everybody seems to be taking their good jolly time to get their stuff together. And I'm like, come on guys, if I don't take off now, I'm already half hour behind schedule for the day. But, you know, they don't, they don't have schedules. It's like, yeah, we do it today. We do it tomorrow, next week, you know, whenever it happens, it happens. So but yeah, there's definitely a lot of a lot of uh, just in our valley here that we live in, it's about a 20, mi 20 square miles or so. There's seven different languages. So, but they all speak pidgin. So, within their own villages and stuff, they speak their their talk place. Yeah, I found it challenging when I was in in Africa that, you know, just uh, I would go out and I'd have to have translators, and it was just so hard. You wasn't used to the translator thing, and. And when I was speaking, I'd have translators and I, I didn't know when to stop. I didn't know when to start again. And it was just challenging. Then I would say things they didn't understand. Like I'd say, well, what's up? You know, like here in the United States, you say, what's up? And you got people looking up in the sky and it's like, uh, hey, what do, what do you mean? What's up? The sky's up, you know, but 
Yeah, I just found it challenging. But I just had one more quick question. It's not really relevant. But your wife, how is she involved in the ministry? Is she a pilot as well? And and uh, does she fly with you? Or, or are you kind of a team? Um, no, she has absolutely no interest in aviation whatsoever. Her interest lies in like hair and beauty and things like that. So she cuts hair here on our center for all the other missionaries. There's I mean, two or three other girls here on base as well that do the same thing. And then she also teaches a class for some high school girls on the same thing that are interested in like beautician things. So that keeps her busy. That's where she is right now. Um, but that keeps her busy five or six days a week, probably doing that. And then also being a mom of our three kids. So that's awesome. I know um, my wife has just recently started working on her private pilot license. And uh, very cool. It, it is cool. And and I could take her so far. But there's just times like you said, where just you got to go maybe with another instructor, because <laughs> you're not listening to me. <laughs> I think but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, so but uh, no, it's awesome. Like you said, when you yeah. have the opportunity, when you have the opportunity to kind of share a passion, even if you're not doing the same thing, you know, collectively, you're still together uh, working, exactly. together, which is amazing. Um, and, and we challenge each other. Uh, but getting back to your, your earlier point, and I yeah. really, I really love, you know, like you said, I mean, you're really, you have to, like you said, just immerse yourself in the culture and be willing to kind of step outside of your comfort zone. And, you know, I mean, just my time abroad, you know, even if I couldn't speak the language, you know, I, I have no problem, like I said, go to a market or a fair and just listen, observe, and just kind of take it all in. And like I said, your personality, and no doubt, uh, is reflective of, of that you know, same advice. So you did mention, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, Ryan. Um, you know, Like a lot of us here on the show, we do have big, big visions. And like you said, we, we have that tendency you know, to kind of push credit aside or push the plaques aside. And because again, like you said, we, we just really want to have a big impact on the individuals in our sphere. And that's, you know, just rewarding enough. Uh, but could you, or if you're willing to share some of those bigger visions, you know, what, what might they be? Well, um, one of them, I have a couple of blocks, but one of them <laughs> is I've always wanted to do helicopter training. And I start that next January. So we'll be heading back to the States for a year to do helicopter training and then come back here and then i will probably fly for probably a year exclusively on helicopter and then i'll start bouncing back and forth um back and forth between the kodiak and the r66 helicopter so that's kind of what's next on the horizon for me other than that i would really really love to own a big business someday i mean that has been like my dream since high school is i don't even know necessarily what what type or what it would be in but that's that's what i would really like to do someday when we're done doing this our kids have another eight years before all of them have graduated and then after that man really kind of where the lord leads but that's what we're thinking is we'd like to finish strong with our kids here out of high school and then after that man i just have no idea but something in business is what i'd like to do that's awesome and like you said, I think that's the best part is, you know, you know, as driven as you are, you said things will fall into place, you know, just like your 150,000 subscribers, you said we don't set out to do those things, but just because, you know, we keep our nose to the grindstone and we just keep working hard, 
you know, I just, and I tell my students this too, it's good things will happen if you just keep taking steps towards your vision, whatever it is, or how fast you get there, you know? Exactly. I think there's a word, I think it's called Kaizen. It's some Japanese word, but it's basically, it's like, you're just doing the next step, one step after the next, and you're continually making step towards your goal and you'll eventually get it. I mean, it took me 15 years to get to the point where we got to PNG before I started flying. And all along the way, it was very frustrating and it seemed to take forever and 10 times longer than it should. But eventually I got there. So, yeah. And I won't, uh, I won't put too much pressure on you for uh, jumping ship and heading over to helicopters. Uh, I've tried that once and I think that was, <laughs> that was my fill. <laughs> Just too much going on. I'll stick to aircraft for a while. <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot. The first time I flew, I flew on once and it was very overwhelming. <laughs> absolutely I, I i don't mind riding them that, that's a joy but flying uh, i'll leave that to you and the professionals i suppose so so in as we start to kind of head towards wrapping things up here um you know what would you say based upon your experience you know, what leadership advice or even life advice uh would you want to share uh, with our students and our audience um that tenacity pays. <laughs> um, I've seen that in so many areas of my life that when I set specific goals and then continually work for them, I've mentioned it in some of my videos, but like I'm really passionate about goal setting and like continually pursuing them, keeping them on like the forefront of your mind because I've just seen so many people and my friends be disappointed in life that they're not getting what they want out of life, but they have never. They've never even figured out exactly what they want in life. And I've even struggled with that for so many years. It wasn't until my mid thirties that I'm thinking, okay, well, I've worked my past 15 years to get to this point. And that was like kind of the only on the horizon goal that I had. But now that I'm here, I'm like, there has to be more things that I want to start pursuing. Like what happens when I'm done with this? Or what happens if the, for some reason I would, you know, wasn't able to fly anymore for something i'm like it just it, like your whole world could crush if that's what you base like all of your happiness on is thing to whatever certain goals so yeah both my wife and i are very passionate about like really pursuing what you want and not just like going well this is this is what the world or the universe has given me you know it's like no you can create whatever life you want if you are tenacious and you continually continually work towards that I appreciate your attitude. That's uh, probably one of the best attitudes that anybody could possibly have. And that's probably what makes things happen. Um, but, you know, I really want to commend you on, as a past pastor, I always commend people on missions. People don't realize how hard missions is that you have to, <laughs> you know, move and be trained. People don't realize how much training you go through to be in missions and and so forth and uh, very much the money, the money it takes to to keep a mission going is uh people don't even can't even fathom so i commend you i um i appreciate uh your willingness to uh you know put your family in 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 that situation as well and and i'm sure your children are being blessed by it or because of it and their experiences uh will go beyond any other experience they could ever have probably anywhere else. But uh, I got to say, I, I thank you for your 
contributions to the mission world. And I'm sure a lot of people uh, probably couldn't, I, 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 man, I'm, it's like one of those deals where you just don't know how many people's lives you have touched. And I'm sure you've touched many lives you don't even know. And, uh, and I'm sure, again, it, it blesses me to hear uh, about your mission and about your ministry and uh, just your passion. So thank you. Well, thanks. Thank you. And, and Ryan, just to jump in here as well, you know, I, I think it's really cool from a, just a different perspective. You know, I, I, I obviously appreciate the mission work. I, I, the aviation stuff I think is great. I, I really love how you've taken two things that I, I'll call passions for you and you, you've blended them together and you're giving back now. I mean, that's pretty, pretty incredible. I think that, you know, at least with the younger generation that, that, that I see in the classrooms now, it seems like they're all very motivated, almost in a similar way. We're like, they want to be able to make an impact, um, but still um, yes. uh, uh, keep some sovereignty and some uniqueness to them. So you're almost like an embodiment of that. Um, I'm still really obsessed <laughs> with that um, YouTube plaque in the back as well. Um, so another congratulations there. But this last question uh, is slightly surface level, uh, but you know, I'm going to ask it anyways. Uh, you've been out of the States for how long at this point? What, when was the last time you've been in the States? This isn't the question. Um, we came back over here, um, like the end of the summer of 2018. Okay. So, so it, a little over two and a half years. Is there anything about the United States? Maybe there's nothing. Is there anything about the United States that like you miss? Like anything that oh. accessible, like whether it's a food or a sporting game, like, well, what is it that uh, you said you're coming back? What in January of 2022 to start the helicopter stuff? What's one of the first things you'd That's right whenever you get back oh man the list is long <laughs> um i would say the things i miss the most are um good service when you go to a restaurant you know they're there to serve you it's 100 percent opposite here 100 percent um safer roads and uh just being able to have the freedom to go out and do things like we love camping as a family but camping in this culture is not quite the same, you know, like they see you camping. Oh, let's hang out with you guys too. And you're like, you know, camping is when you get out and you get away from people, not let's go hang out with people that we don't know and just chit chat around the fire and drink coffee. So I'm really looking forward to being able to go camping, go on road trips and get out in nature and be alone. <laughs> you're, you're never ever alone in png because there's just everybody's just either walking or there's just so many more people around that you just don't like in the states it's you know they're in their car or they're in the store so and collectively for you said you had three children collectively do you think that like for your children obviously i have no semblance of their age range but is there anything that you think that like kids um your kids would want like what do you think that they're going to be like stoked to kind of experience when they get back into the states Wow, that's a good question. Probably good, fast internet. <laughs> that, that so, yeah, so that they can all join all of their friends on Minecraft and not have glitchiness and <laughs> things like that. So, oh, the Minecraft glitchiness has caused many heartaches in our house. 
<laughs> so I hear, I hear you there. I'll be well, there Nestor. I'm not sure what you're talking about, but I'll find out after the show. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ryan. Thank you so much. And how could our audience? I know you, like you said, we've as Angela said, the big plaque with a, a lot of YouTube followers, Instagram followers. How can we, you know, stay connected with you and your mission work and, and everything you're doing? Well, um, I post on Instagram, like just photos through my day. If people are interested in kind of seeing more day to day and what we what I actually do, and usually a lot of really just short snippets of what I'm doing. I post on YouTube, but the same stuff I put on YouTube, I put on my Facebook page. So if you're at one, you can find it somewhere else. But um, yeah, I do have my email address on my YouTube channel. People do have questions as well. And, and then we also have like a mission website. I don't really update it really per se, but if people want to find out more what our mission is doing or how they can partner with us to be able to serve here, they can go check that out as well. It's on YouTube. So there's a few different ways that people can connect with me. Fantastic. And like you said, we'll make sure to put those connections in our show notes too. Uh, so our audience can certainly kind of continue following uh, you and your work. Um, Excellent. So awesome. Well, Ryan, like I said, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today uh, and definitely sharing your passion uh, for both mission work and aviation with us. Um, I know Angelo, Dennis, and I are all grateful for the conversation uh, with like you said, with yourself. And like you said, you're doing incredible work across the world. And like you said, it, it's a testament that you like said, if you follow your passion and you follow your dream, uh, it can really take you to the far reaches of the, of the globe. For sure. Well, thank you so much for reaching out, having me on. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you again, Ryan, for joining us today. And again, for our audience, you know, think of all of your experiences almost as a huge tapestry, you know, that could be laid out in whatever pattern you wish. And, you know, each day you have the opportunity to add a new thread to that weaving. So whether your sphere of influence is in your neighborhood, it's in your city, your state, your country, or even Papua New Guinea, right? Remember that leadership is a human activity, right? That emerges from the heart of who you are and that you have the ability to impact others more deeply than you may realize. All right. So thank you. And we'll see you on our next episode. <laughs>